everyone, my name is Ross Chua, and this is the pilot episode of the Lefty Lucy broadcast, uh, brought to you by The Art of Podcasting and Seth Everett. Thank you, Professor Everett, for this opportunity. Um, so what is this? A quick intro to the concept of this podcast. I wanted to do something about my politics, about leftist politics, but a little bit more chill, a little bit more uh, lackadaisical than what you're probably used to from someone like me, or really any political podcast. And that's why the title's Lefty Lucy. You know, something casual, something that you can, you know, listen to and drink a beer and have fun. Something fun. And, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And I figured a great person to bring on for my first episode is one of the most fun, casual persons to ever have a conversation with me. And one of the first person that, uh, you know, really introduced leftist politics into my life, or at least like in a real world sense. Um, and that's my friend, Daniel Greer. So hello, Daniel. Oh, hi, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you want to just give yourself a, a quick little intro? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Daniel. As, as Ross said, um, I am also a senior uh, or I'm a senior in the Syracuse University Bandier program, a music industry major. Um, I'm also a bit of an ex- expert in like contemporary music history. Uh, a little bit of modern pop culture and um, music in general. And I also have very similar politics to Ross. And um, I kind of, I, I, I didn't know that I was the genesis point for your politics. That, that's kind of impressive. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm honored a little bit. But yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to be here. That's yeah, I mean, yeah. well, I should introduce myself, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah. My name is Ross Chua. I am a grad student. I'm in the audio arts program here at Syracuse University. I got my bachelor's degree in music composition, so I also have a, a decent understanding of you know music, music history, music theory, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I definitely have like like uh, experience with uh, pop culture, and, and and I'm taking like a diversity media class, and so I'm learning a lot about how the media interacts with politics through this program. So that's really fun. So I'll start by just saying, like, as far as I can remember, I've always been, like, left of center politically, right? Like, I, I, I don't, I can't, like, the first political thought I remember having was about, like, the 2008 election. Um, and I was just like, you know, I, uh, I like Obama. He seems to, like, know his arguments a, a little better. And I, like, I understand his arguments a little bit better than I understand McCain's. And, um... You know, and obviously I was like, what, uh, how old was I? 10? I don't know. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was about eight or nine when that happened. Yeah, so, like, I, I wasn't really thinking deeply about it. But, like, that's as far as I can remember. I've always really believed in, like, more progressive social policies and more, you know, I don't want to say accepting. I don't want to offend anyone on the the other side there. But, like, more, <laughs> <laughs> more, uh more left-leaning social policies. And I never really thought about how economics in, in incorporated with that. But I was always um, really, in some ways, the default uh, political ideology of America, which is like slightly left-leaning socially and slightly right-leaning economically, you know, capitalist and everything. I wasn't married to capitalism, uh, but I was, you know, I thought I was like, yeah, this is probably the best system. It's the one we have. Uh, and it seems to work fine. And I don't know if, if that's similar to where you started, Daniel, but... Yeah, I think that's pretty much where I was. Um, I think my first, my I grew up in a political household. My father is a, uh, a politics, a current affairs journalist. Um, mm-hmm. Used to be a foreign affairs journalist for the Christian Science Monitor, and now he is, I believe, primary politics. Um, 
so I was always kind of aware of politics from a very young age. I was one of those like weird second graders who was like obsessed with the presidents, like knew all the weird <laughs> facts about the presidents, knew all the presidents in order. Um, and then when the 2008 election rolled around, I was definitely also, you know, I was I was on the Obama train during the primaries. I I mean, it's hard for it's kind of weird for me to say that because I was like eight years old. <laughs> right. But, you, you know, I would I would <laughs> I would go with my dad to like D.C. and we would, you know, travel around and because and that's where his office was. And we would go into a souvenir shop and there would be, you know, like campaign buttons for Hillary and, and Obama next to each other. And I remember looking at the Obama pin and going, who's that guy? And my dad, like, casually explaining to me his, like, you know, political history. And I was like, that's really interesting and really engaging. And, like, I think one of the things that's really was compelling for me about Obama specifically was, I mean, he was, what, like, the fourth ever black senator? Right. Fifth, I think. Fifth? Like, that's insane. It's <laughs> <laughs> Really. Um, yeah, 2006. Especially, like, yeah. in the 150-plus years since since the end of the Civil War. And, you know, we've only had four Five. And 45 years since um, mm-hmm. black people could vote. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's really interesting. I think at the time, for me, I was like, wow. Um, I didn't really think of history in that perspective. It's one of those things like where you like don't really think about how close all of the events of history really are together to a certain extent. But yeah, I remember being really enthusiastic about Obama for a really long time. Um you also kind of got to a point which is interesting about just like history. I think there's this there's this paradigm in the typical person where like it feels like you know, and this this has probably been true for everyone uh, in any time period, but it feels like we're you know we've gone through history, right? Mm-hmm. We're here, we're at we're at the present now. Like we 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 you know things have happened and we've reached the present and now you know we can just you know think about you know and like it, it seems it seems so sophomoric when you when you explain it like that but mm-hmm. i think that's kind of like our framework right we 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 frame things in like the way things are 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 probably the best thing cuz this is this is how everything has come up to be so i think um the takeaway from that is that like we we feel like we've found the good systems and now it's just about maybe refining it maybe cleaning this up here blah 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 blah, blah. exactly yeah not about like completely reforming system we've tried that in mm-hmm. the past uh or completely changing the system completely replacing the system so getting back to like my personal journey through politics i've 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 kind of slowly inched toward the left on economic issues and even more to the left on on social issues mm-hmm. you know uh and i i feel like that a lot of that has to just do with um talking to you know people with with uh, especially when I came into college, right, and that was the first time that um, I had a lot of different perspectives like coming at me. Both from from uh, you know my my high school experience was like pretty much just people who uh, you know I don't know if they agreed with me, but we all kind of had the same attitude toward politics, which is like yeah, that's not super fun to talk about. Let's just all assume we're kind of coming from the same place. Yeah. And when I came to college, that was the first time people really liked to talk about politics. And so that was the first time I really got to hear diverse opinions. Um, and that included opinions to the left and to the right of me. I always found, you know, th- th- this, there's a lot of logic to this. I always found that I was like, oh, well, it's probably right to be in the middle of those because, you know, law of averages and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I think there's, there's value to that way of thinking. Uh, but, you know, it... Really, ha- it depends on, like, what is to either side of you about, like, how far in the middle that you actually go. Uh, I should talk about um, being an RA 
because uh, oh. that's you know, that's how we met, right? That's how yeah. we really got to know each other. So we were coworkers for a year. Yeah, and that was uh, <laughs> being an RA was definitely a thing that oh I did. Oh my god, yeah, I, I, that's one of those things I think about a lot. Like there are huge chunks of my life that um, were longer probably like <laughs> like so there's this thing that i was i was talking about recently with one of my friends um where i was part of this very specific kind of like youth program when i was an adolescent and and one of the things that i had realized is that i was in that program for seven years right. you know from when i was 10 until i was 18 give or take so actually eight years um and even still that feels like a shorter period of time than the <laughs> three semesters that i was an ra yeah because the job is so intensive really the way you're watching young people interact with each other on a on like a primal level almost right is bizarre it would and it's it's extra bizarre because we're only a year or two older than exactly these aren't like you know i'm not a a teacher teaching like children i'm i'm only a year older than in many ways i'm not at all qualified exactly like why do i have authority (laughs) over these people um (laughs) but uh, what i wanted to specifically talk about was uh you know the diversity training that we got the care Mm. Uh, care specifically in that circle because um, I uh, I had a very specific experience with care which I don't think actually reflects a lot of people uh, care meaning conversations about race and ethnicity which is a six week um, module that we have to take essentially mm-hmm. uh, to, to understand uh, issues of race and ethnicity in this country you know it's part of like you know trying to make us better uh, advisors to our mm-hmm. students because you know SU takes in a lot of students from a lot of different places and a lot of different cultures and a lot of different races and ethnicities and so so, so you know it's it, it's general uh it's it, it's generally applicable to any job like they're trying to make you more aware of different people's backgrounds and uh you know i think the most charitable definition i can give to the ra diversity training uh as a whole is is incomplete but what it did give me especially care was a lot of vocabulary it mm-hmm. gave me a lot of and i think that's really essential to understanding issue is just like understanding the language that people who are invested in those issues use. So what was your experience with care? Because I, I really actually really liked it, but I know a lot of people didn't. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, is, I think that one of the things about care specifically is that it had like a lot of different people that were doing it, so to speak. You know, there were different people in positions of authority in right. the uh, OSL organization that were executing care for different RAs. Yeah, and it's very so discussion-based, too. So exactly. Like, you know, it really depends on who's in your group mm-hmm. uh, as students as well. So, for example, like, I had... Uh, my care sessions were with people that were, for the most part, at least partially educated on these issues, so to speak. Or they were people like me where they kind of grew up surrounded by these issues somewhat. And... Um, that kind of facilitated for a lot more interesting and a lot more in-depth conversation. We didn't really have to have the, like, what is white privilege talk, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because everyone really kind of understood. But, like, that's not going to be the case for everyone. And some of those topics can get really kind of... um, What's the word? I don't want to say, like, kind of miscommunicated or misconstrued in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those... There are a lot of topics in in care that I felt were particularly things that people can take the wrong way quite easily. Right. Not that they should, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it was easy to jump to conclusions is my point. Yeah. Jumping off of that. I think what it is, is applying these, these terms that really describe more of a systemic issue, Mm -hmm. more of a, uh, an issue of the institutions in this country and society at a whole and trying to apply it to your, 
specific individual experience. Right. Uh, you know, in many ways, that's that's not. Uh, you know, you can't say like, oh, those are just completely separate things. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, it's it's harder to to grasp. You know, the concept of white privilege if you if you are white and you haven't had a quote unquote privileged life. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the the um, manifestations of white privilege are largely invisible to the people that have it. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, synthesizing that with my experience with care, one thing that was really interesting is you know, and we we had the the gambit of you know they 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 selected um, one person of every of every race that they could. You know, they really tried to like mm-hmm. mix it up, um, which is this, this another whole issue of mm-hmm. like you know because it can get tokenizing. Yeah. But I had a, a friend who in the group that uh, his parents were uh, first generation citizens excuse me he was a first generation citizen his parents were immigrants from portugal um so he's white Mm -hmm. but the experiences that he described and like his upbringing and like his experience with with racial and ethnic uh discrimination and you know just in general his experience with race and ethnicity uh was very reflective of what a lot of um latinx people go through you know people making fun of his parents accent people not trusting his parents because of their (laughs) accent um because you know it's very similar to a a a, um hispanic accent so it really got me thinking about social constructs and 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 the way race manifests because like you know he was essentially treated as not white or at least his parents were Mm -hmm. which is strange when you know you look at him and you realize you know this guy's a white guy and yeah and i think that was very formative for me for my understanding of race in general it really got me out of the essentialization mindset of race where you you know you think it's like these attributes make someone this race make Mm -hmm. someone this this state of being right so throughout all of this uh my opinion on capitalism um like it had slowly been turning into something along the lines of well capitalism's flawed but obviously we don't want to go full-on socialist or full-on communist you know like i wasn't an anti-capitalist yet i didn't see how that played into things but here's the scene Uh, i'm already left-leaning um i've talked to so many people from so many different uh identities and like i feel for those people and i'm so like i want to fight for their rights uh and the coronavirus outbreak happens and shortly after that, the George Floyd murdering happens, mm-hmm. uh, and that sparks a huge resurgence of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and, mm-hmm. and, the, and those protests. And that really got me um, thinking even more deeply about these issues. Mm-hmm. And I should have known I was going to get really, like, because this is this is too heavy to talk about in one single it's podcast. a pretty emotional topic and yeah. there's no and there's no blaming you for having that yeah. kind of emotion and even, associated yeah to and it. even uh outside of the emotions because uh, i definitely want to i don't want to claim that like oh this this gets me teared up because it, it, it almost feels like uh you know like i'm taking up that space from other people not to mm-hmm. say that you know anyone from any uh ethnicity or race shouldn't feel emotional about this whole incident but mm-hmm. like i don't want to you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we're we're mean. both white. We we aren't like. I don't want to say we're not directly impacted by that. I think oppression hurts everyone. I mm-hmm. think that's a foundational belief of leftist ideologies. But like, it it feels weird to you know say like, oh, this 
this makes me so upset when like I'm not the person being targeted for the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at any rate, so I started looking into these uh, 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 these systems of oppression, and I, you know, that was something that I was already primed to be able to analyze and think about from from the vocabulary I learned as an RA and from the issues that um, activists in the Not Against You movement brought forward. Um, and I started realizing it always tied back to like, well, why are these people doing it? It's not simply because they're racist. It's not simply because they're bad people. It's not simply because they're they're evil. And you could definitely uh, you know, I, and that's my opinion. A lot of these people are racist and bad and evil, uh, but they're not doing it from some idea in their head that it's like, I want to hurt black people or I yeah. want to hurt women. I want to hurt people. I want to hurt, um, I want to marginalize all these people. It's, I want to make a profit and it, it's profitable to exploit and marginalize these people. And, you know, if you're a reader or a reader, geez, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not an anti-capitalist, you probably listen to that and be like, well, what's he talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll try to explain that right now. I don't know if I'll, you know, be the most articulate about it. But um, l- like I said, I- I- I'm not trying to convince you that y- you should hate capitalism. I'm not trying to convince you that my hatred of capitalism is, is steeped in a reasonable material experience. Um, I saw, let's, let's talk about private, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for-profit prisons and prison labor, right? Mm-hmm. The justice system has a disproportional effect on people of color, specifically black people. Yeah. So there's a disproportionate number of black people imprisoned. And prison labor, therefore, uh, disproportionately affects black people. Um, and prison labor is 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 extremely like it's it's so weird to me that we just accept it now that like i've been opened to like just how exploitative it is and how 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 it 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 taints all of the products we use like Mm -hmm. you know we we don't realize that like like so many major companies and and their affiliates have you know used uh prison labor to assemble their products one Um, of the things that i think about a lot is the fact that the main state penitentiary has a gift shop with things made by the Jesus. prisoners. This is this is a fact. This is like I own a bracelet that was made by a prisoner in the Main State Penitentiary. I got it when I was like nine years old. I had no idea that the implications of that kind of stuff. And there's like all kinds of stuff in there. It's all like woodworking, handwoven mm-hmm. materials, like clearly skilled labor. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, in essence, maybe pennies on the dollar for an hour. Right. Maybe. If you're lucky. Um, And what's interesting about that, too, is, like, you know that was coming from prison labor, right? mm -hmm. Could you imagine if all the products that were made by prison labor were, like, labeled as such? Yeah. In, in like, Walmart or Target or whatever? You're, like, picking up a, you know, a Nintendo Switch for your your son's birthday, and you look at it, and it says, made in Attica State Prison. Like, what effect would that have? On, I think we should clarify that Nintendo Switches aren't actually made in Natica State Prison. <laughs> well, but, that's, that's fair. <laughs> that's a bit of an exaggeration. But to a certain extent, you're right in the sense that, like, there are a lot of just, like, basic materials that and products that people just don't know are essentially slave labor made. Right. And um, I think there's a lot to be said about that just because there is this kind of innate requirement for retribution for mm-hmm. every crime right so to speak and and of course 
this doesn't want to turn into a, a, a trying like trying to justify crime thing. So right. we'll just come out and say that, of course, crime is bad. <laughs> well, but assuming that the, the, the law that you're breaking. Yeah. Is, you know, because, you know. Yeah, that's that, also that's a, true. That's yeah. a really deep discussion. Because if you want to get into, you know, like the fact that a lot of the people who are involved in this labor were mostly convicted of nonviolent drug offenses. Right. You know, that's a, a, another factor in it, certainly. Um, but beyond that, in, in those circumstances, there is a need for these people to, so to speak, get what's coming to them. Right. And so what concerns me the most about this slave labor is that there are people who do know and don't care because for them, it's part of the retribution process. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you did this thing that's against the law. Ergo making license plates for 50 cents an hour is part of that part of your punishment. Just, I don't know. I mean, the whole universalized structure of it all is just really, really, confounding and to a certain extent a little saddening to see a lot of people just kind of brush it off as part of it right innate and uh i think going off of that and how our society views crime and punishment and retribution um you know i definitely have to look more into this but if it's part of me wonders you know if it's a chicken or the egg situation is that something that developed in our society because that was something lingering from some other uh, um, more from, from from previous societies. Is that you know, uh, or is it something that was used to justify what we do in prisons and prison labor? And you know, I the the more I uh, I, I think about you know if, if you watch Thirteenth, that was really pushed near the beginning mm. of the Black Lives Matter movement this summer. That really goes into how slave labor. Uh, you know, directly evolved from directly evolved into prison labor, um, in in the Thirteenth Amendment, which is where Thirteenth gets its name from. That's a specific loophole. It's like mm-hmm. slavery shall be abolished except in cases of uh, punishing a crime. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a historian. I'm not a sociologist. But I have to wonder, like, did we used to think that you know, punishing a person, you know, is the main goal of 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 putting them in prison is the main goal of, of punishing a crime to make that person feel horrible for the crime they did uh you know we put a specific clause in in our in our bill of rights that said you know cruel and unusual punishment shouldn't be used in in cases of punishing a crime uh so i i have to wonder like did this come about so that people using prison labor to make their products could justify it you know, again, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just a guy having a conversation with you, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not trying to make any broad sweeping claims. There's people much more qualified for me. You should definitely watch Thirteenth. A lot of what I've been talking about with prison labor, like I learned from, from watching that. So definitely look that up on Netflix. And you know, big shout out to everyone involved in making that documentary. Ava DuVernay, Ava is Duvernay. the director, yeah, correct? Yeah. yeah, excellent, excellent director. Um. And I, and I think 13th is a very good uh, starting point for really understanding right. a lot of those issues, too. Um, emotionally, there's, you know, a lot of investment that comes from talking about this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like, one of the things that I've felt personally um, is just the kind of doom-scrolling thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a new term. Um, and I'm really kind of shocked that it is a noon term. And I'm really surprised we hadn't thought of it maybe like two or three years earlier. 
Um, but I really think that, like, the concept of doom scrolling has only existed in maybe, like, the last year or year and a half. Um... Uh, for those who are unaware, doom scrolling is 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 the concept of the kind of eternal going through the news, <laughs> constantly obsessively thread, checking, yeah. constantly and obsessively checking everything that's happening in the world all the time, and constantly scrolling through your social media feeds until it's like two o'clock in the morning. Um, it, and and it's bad because I do it all the time for every single subject, including prison labor, and um, sometimes it'll be like three o'clock in the morning. And I had spent the last two, three hours just doing that. And I think that part of the reason why that emotional, that, that, that like emotional investment becomes so shocking, so overwhelming is the fact that like, to a certain extent, like there is this feeling of hopelessness. You know, and and I don't want to say that there is no way that you can help these situations because mm -hmm. it's fundamentally wrong. You know, direct action is necessary for a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, but to a certain extent, you know, you you look at you look at what's happening in the world. You look at things like George Floyd. You look mm -hmm. at things like the prison the the the, the prison industrial complex, and um, then you look at how people in power respond to these situations mm -hmm. and you look at how there are like a certain specific like catch-all set of responses that certain political groups each have and none of them seem particularly productive you know some of them might seem helpful some of them might seem somewhat insightful um but um ultimately seem more symbolic than impactful so to right. speak materially uh lifting these people from their from their oppressed situation mm -hmm. and um getting back to how this pushed me into anti-capitalism mm -hmm. uh a lot of these issues kind of come back to the people in power uh doing what they can to stay in power and exactly l largely overwhelmingly the people in power is almost synonymous with uh, the people who have the money and the people who are on good terms with the people who have the money. And there's a lot of people who will be like, capitalism is evil. I don't think any system is... I, I can't put a moral judgment on a system. Mm -hmm. But I do think capitalism and in the, in the profit motive specifically, which is mm -hmm. a fundamental aspect of, of capitalist economies, is um, a person is motivated not by that which is best for society or is most ethical or most sustainable but which will get them the most money. Yeah. And uh, that doesn't always mean the person is going to do bad things just to get money. I think people, I don't know if people are in, intrinsically anything, but I tend to see the good in people. I don't think most people are out there saying, like, I want to go hurt people. But I, I I see, you know, these these companies which are polluting the planet and, 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 and doing these extremely unsustainable uh, acts and and paying off uh, politicians to you know avoid passing laws which would regulate these um, you know these 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 industries and tell them to stop doing all this pollution mm -hmm. uh, and and I see that like it's well within capitalist rationalization to do these things you know it's well within like this is 
the profitable thing to do. It's not profitable to, uh, at, at least in this specific moment, at least in the short term, to to try to combat uh, climate change because you know it's a lot cheaper to just ignore it. Ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to just do the wasteful thing. You know, having a renewable resource it takes a lot of uh, a lot more investment uh than it is to just use oil uh and coal and and these these super wasteful resources and these super you know non-renewable resources that we're running out of now you may be familiar with spotify as a music streaming service but they also do podcasts if you haven't tried listening there yet it's free to download and use spotify on any device you can listen to our show you can listen to a whole slew of different podcasts And it's great because you can go from listening to Talking Heads, the band, to actual Talking Heads. Just search for our show or any show you want on Spotify to start listening for free. And remember, you don't need premium. You can just download the app and start listening. Um, And I want to give the disclaimer here that, like, I want to be careful with this because there's there's this sort of centrist way of going about things. Sorry if you're a centrist. But, like, of saying, like, you know, all ideas have merit. And, uh... I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't really respect all ideas or ideologies, right? But I don't think I—I I don't think you need to respect someone's ideology or their beliefs to respect them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't respect conservatism. I don't respect liberalism as like ideologies. You know, you know, what does even what does respecting an ideology even mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do I uh, give it a handshake when I meet it, and you know, whatever? <laughs> I respect the people that hold them. I believe that most people come to their beliefs reasonably or rationally um they just need the right information or the right perspective mm-hmm. to 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 change their their mind but at any rate uh i i don't i don't want to then say like well then we should you know have you know we should listen to what a fascist wants to say about something mm-hmm. they might have a good perspective um but if getting back to my disclaimer if i've said something and you feel like i've misrepresented you know your ideology or misrepresented your your argument um I don't know to what extent I'm going to have like social media surrounding this podcast or whatever, but I'd love for you to reach out to me and, you know, and, and, you know, have a conversation. I'm not here to make enemies. I'm not here. And again, I'm not here to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm here to convince you that like, maybe you should listen to people who think like me and, and, and get their perspectives. What I want to do with this podcast is, mm-hmm. is in my own little corner of, you know, the world, you know, in my own life and the people that are going to listen to this, I want to encourage us to talk to each other and not to assume and that can get tricky right i'm not going to tell someone who is hurt by uh racism to you know be like oh this person may be racist but like you should talk to them and and understand where they're coming from but and you know again individual versus systemic i think as a society somewhere along the line we got to this point where it's like you don't talk about politics with people you don't agree with Mm -hmm. you know you don't you don't break bread with 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 people who have uh, the bad beliefs and the bad ideologies, and that's something that I think plagues every every person and every um, every walk of life. You know, like you mm-hmm. know, you, there's people you stay away from. There's people you don't. You know, maybe you can have a little bit of variance here, but you know, you don't cross mm-hmm. this line. The, this line that we're drawing in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I I want I want everything that I'm saying here to be taken with a grain of salt. I think we will move forward. I think one thing that we all can do here on the ground level, getting back to what you were saying, is like, um, you know, it feels like you can't really change the world. I think mm-hmm. as someone who, who throughout my life has 
been able to walk that line and, and really talk to a lot of different kinds of people, you know, not to like self aggrandize or anything. I, mm-hmm. I feel like I fit in in a lot of situations and I'm able to relate to a lot of people. It's very fulfilling on a personal level. And I think that it has a real world impact. I think it, it, mm-hmm. it gets, it can really make things happen when you get someone to, cause you don't get them to just understand you. They get, you get them to say like, okay, well what this person is saying reminds me of what my friend was talking to me about. Uh, and so maybe I should listen to them and get their perspective. You know, it, it gets them. It's called entryism, right? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I want to I want to walk the line here. I don't want to say, like, play nice with the people who are saying really mean things or really problematic things. And especially the ones that affect you. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of people say, like, if you don't already believe this, you don't already believe this unfriend me block me you know i don't want to talk to you anymore Mm -hmm. and i get where they're coming from you know you want to set a hard line it's like especially when it's stuff like black lives matter Mm -hmm. and systemic racism is real and Mm -hmm. like people deserve health care like it's hard to imagine that anyone that doesn't already believe those things can even have a reasonable conversation Mm -hmm. and i'm sure there's many people out there that 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 don't believe in those things that that will not budge and will not have a Mm -hmm. conversation but and we assume everybody that 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 doesn't already agree with you there can't be swayed can't be agreed with we're going to pigeonhole ourselves we're mm-hmm. going to get into these we're going to get into these echo chambers and we're also going to get get pushed out and and we're going to lose support to actually get those sorts of ideas like like legitimized mm-hmm. and and recognized when you can i think you should take those opportunities to step outside of that comfort zone yeah and and, and you know no matter who you are or where you come from what your identity is it takes a lot of energy to do that and you mm-hmm. shouldn't feel guilty for um you know slipping up on that sometimes nor should you feel responsible really right like uh, uh, while i do think that's an invaluable feature and i do think that 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 kind of rhetoric is really important in progressing where we need to go i also don't think that everyone is responsible for doing that you know i do think that different people have different emotional thresholds Mm -hmm. and um you know, we shouldn't force anyone, especially we shouldn't force anyone of those identities to, you know, take up that role upon themselves. Right. And, and in many cases, put themselves in, you know, real danger mm-hmm. by trying to stand up there. And that's kind of where our role comes into this. Being able to understand this, being able to understand this from outside of those identities is so important just because you need people from outside of those identities to say, yes, it's not just them who believes that. Yes, it's not just, you know, they're not being, you know, irrational or or crazy. You know, they are right. There are, you know, there are very real reasons for why they believe these things, and I agree with them for those reasons. And not to, you know, this, this uh, interpreted wrong, or is at least interpreted uncharitably, could seem like white saviorism and, like, yeah. these people need us. But, like, they we, don't. We all, <laughs> we all need each other. Yeah. Right. That's a that's like a foundational value for me. And I think it seems to be a foundational pillar of leftist thinking. Mm-hmm. We all need each other. Um, and to make it extra hokey, I'm going to end <laughs> on a quote, quote of the week. Uh, this was from Mark Twain in The Innocents Abroad. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. I like that. Yeah. If you've liked Lefty Lucy, you're going to love all of the shows on the Collider Network, which is on Podcast One. Podcast One is a YouTube channel 
that turned into a super network for podcasts. It's got everything you can think of. Check out Collider Sports, The Jedi Council, One-on-One with Christian Harloff, Movie Trivia Schmodown, Movie Talk, and so much more. Check out the Collider Network every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, that, that's been the pilot episode of Lefty Lucy. This was a ton of fun. I hope you had a ton of fun listening, Mr. or Mrs. or Mix uh, listener. Um, and have a great day. And I hope you have a great day as well, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap. Ooh.